Hello and welcome to the Shock Horror Podcast. Hello film lovers and welcome to the Films I Love Most Podcast. The Films I Love Most Podcast is recorded live with live messaging. So sometimes people do message in with very inappropriate comments. We can't help that, it's just the general public. So if you hear something that is offensive or rude, we try our best to put a stop to it, but it might just sneak through. So I do apologise for that. But anyway, let's move on. Enjoy this episode of the Films I Love Most Podcast. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, I can hear you too. Nice and clear. <laughs> oh, I How's love it, it going? when a plan comes together. Very well. How are you? Me too. I love when plans come together and I am also doing pretty well. <laughs> yes. That's what I like to hear. Um, listen, I had a, a, um, a moment like I think it was the day before yesterday when I was thinking about our show and doing the research. And I was mm-hmm. there, I thought, it's called a real horror show. But what if I used a, a little bit of a pun on the word Ooh. real? Ooh. A real as in R-E-E-L, as in a film right. reel. A real horror it. show. Yes, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I have to say, I really do appreciate just having, um, you know, another outlet here. And I love the wittiness uh, that you bring to it, you know, like the sharp <laughs> name there and just like the same giddiness that I am applying. So way to go. Great pun. I love that pun. So um, I'm very much looking forward to this. Um, did you get my did, did you get my photo that I sent you of the films that I've watched in preparation? I did. Um, a fair amount oh, of them were the same as the one that I had started. But yeah, I was wondering, I'll have to look around and figure out what happened with that document. Because I saw that I had shared it with you, but I could see that you hadn't made any changes. So I, I figured there was something wrong. Yeah, I wrong. couldn't access it properly. I was trying to edit it and it just wouldn't let me do it. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a photo. <laughs> that works. Yep, the photo works that perfectly works. for me. With my scruffy mm-hmm. handwriting. But I like it because it really feels like... Um, you passed me a note, you know, in middle school and you were like, yeah. here are the movies we should watch this weekend at the sleepover. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's so fun. That's so good. I love that. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to talk about a lot of these movies with you because uh, we have the same ones on our list. And so I'm so curious to see, you know, our different experiences of them and, I don't know, I guess, like the different cultural elements now that I have discovered this wonderful uh, cultural element that you and I get to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing I love about um, the conversation that we're going to have today is that I think um, I was sort of skimming the surface of horror until mm-hmm. I found out about J-horror and that, those elements, for example, like mm-hmm. The Ring, The Grudge. You know, mm-hmm. I was skimming the surface. When I say skimming, I mean... You know, watching those slasher films that we spoke about last time, you know, mm-hmm. on our slasher special, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. That up to that yep. point was my horror education. And I thought that that was as bad as it got. 
Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I was really skimming the surface as well, mostly watching the American remakes and not really looking at the source material when I could. And then the Criterion Collection just being on HBO Max now, like so many amazing old <sighs> horror movies I'd never heard of. And then some I had heard of were just became available to me. So I've gotten really into that, especially during quarantine. Yeah, I don't think we can still get HBO Max in the UK, you know. It's really bugging me because I'd love to have that uh, Criterion uh, collection. For real? Because I love their, their stuff. Yeah, I love their stuff a lot. We don't have Summer. it in the UK, I don't think. Yeah. Because it's a subscription service, right? It is. Um, but, you know, it's from HBO. So it's like they have had their HBO Go for a long time. And that's so surprising that they would limit their audiences at all especially to the uk where i feel like they have an audience you know yeah I was, yeah i was gonna say because it could have been like the bbc iplayer for example has a lot of content on it but it's only available to people in the uk who pay the tv license so i was thinking Got maybe it. about that on there but i'm typing in hbo max as we speak to um to amazon yeah, let's Prime, see. and yeah nothing it's got the films mm. on some of the stuff but you can't actually access hbo max itself oh that's sad days i mean maybe we can figure out how to do a screen share and i can we can watch them together you know we could like screen share and watch something together that'd be pretty fun that would be amazing i know you can do it with disney plus disney plus have an option where you can share share a a screen and you can watch at the same time because i've been watching it with my sister uh, like nice. rewatching some of the Marvel movies, so you can definitely do it with Disney Plus. Okay, so we'll have to figure out if there's a way to do it with HBO. Um, or I, I was wondering, do you know if there's a specific way to just subscribe to the Criterion Collection so that like it's its own library, or is I did HBO have, like buy it and that's go yeah, ahead? I go know ahead. that we have BFI Player. I know we have Movie here, which does a lot of those kind of movies. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just typing that in now because uh, I actually bought a film the other day from the Criterion Collection. Very expensive. Yeah, yeah Ooh, I, bought, I, um, I bought Paris is Burning because I was trying Amazing. to find a copy for a long time and I managed to find it on uh, on eBay quite cheap. So, boom. I say cheap. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean cheap for, money. yeah, one of those types of films. <laughs> yeah, for a collector's one. Yeah. Right, uh, whilst I do this, um, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us here at The Real Horror Show. Um, this Woo. is mine and Shani B's show. This is something I look forward to so much because um, if you've heard any of our previous shows, uh, we do r- really dive deep down into the, uh, mm-hmm. the nitty gritty of horror cinema. And this week we're going to be primarily focusing on foreign horror movies. Now, I don't usually like to use that word foreign. But I think mm-hmm. that because we're talking about movies from so many different countries, I couldn't find another word to amalgamate all the countries we're talking about. So foreign was the only word I can think of. But, you know, they have that on the Super box, American. So. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say it's a super American <laughs> way of looking at it because just as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Like, it has always weirded me out. And I guess international horror movies maybe works. But thank you yeah. for pointing out, you know, a limitation to where I still need to grow and use better language, more inclusive language. <laughs> no, that's okay. 
I think it's because that word has become a little bit like, ooh, in the UK, you know, if someone says the word foreign, it's like, oh, that just sounds like you're being unpleasant about somebody. But, um, yep. yeah, but in this in this aspect, we're going <clears> to <throat> use it in an inclusive, positive way because we are talking yes. about films from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And good films, you know, like some films that are terrible, but some films that are really, really good that have some amazing pieces that I just feel like I don't ever see in things like American cinema. So there's some stuff I really appreciate about about these films. And so hopefully that comes through too. Yeah, absolutely. And I was also just want to say that this conversation is probably going to be rated R. Um, yes. So, yeah, no kids. Just saying. <laughs> so many yeah, kids FYI. I had to ban so many the other day from a chat. Like, no, you're a child. You're a child. Go away. Do your homework. Go to bed. Um, <laughs> But yes, hopefully, fingers crossed, our audience are going to be um, able to watch Chill film rated R. Okay, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a gentleman, um, I'm going to suggest that maybe you should choose our first movie. Get the ball rolling. Oh. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, then let me start with the first one that I watched to kind of get into uh, watching uh, like international movies. And mm-hmm. it was on the Criterion Collection on HBO, and it was Diabolique. So uh, you, I saw <gasps> oh. that on your list as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... So Diabolique uh, mm-hmm. was a film that I actually studied at university. Mm. Tell yeah. me more about that. Tell me more about that. Because well, we were studying I was loving of... every second. Yeah, French cinema. Mm. Uh, we were studying um, sort of black and white movies. And mm-hmm. um, with the, with uh, Lady Abelique, uh, French mm-hmm. for the Diabolicals. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Can you imagine if they ever made a remake of it in America? The Diabolicals. It just sounds crazy. It sounds like a comedy. Um, yeah, it does. The thing about, I mean, it's a very tight sort of two-hander, Lady Abelique, uh, with an extra mm-hmm. character who dies uh, in the movie. Uh, well, we won't, we won't spoil the twist. But um, mm-hmm. what I love about that film is that the horror comes from the fact that you've got two women that think mm-hmm. they've done something um, or have done something wrong. They think they've done something wrong. And they're basically right. the paranoia throughout that whole film is, is intoxicating. Do you know what I mean? Yes. When they start finding little clues about, mm-hmm. you know, the the husband that, that they think they've murdered, mm-hmm. you know, well, when they start finding I, the clues that he may not be dead. I mean, it's yes, really yes. strange. Yeah, well, I think that's why I became very obsessed with it and then was really interested in just expanding my knowledge of watching horror across the world and just like seeing these foundational pieces of work because that movie was blowing my mind. It's from 1955 and it's beginning mm-hmm. to explore pieces of like psychology that as a science, we won't really take seriously for like still probably 10 more years in the United States. So there is, you know, forward thinking around psychology in Europe, but in the States, like people are still making these really cheesy, cheap sort of semi-Western kind of borderline beaver cleaver like please everybody promote an idea movies and in this movie they're like no we're going to tell a very real human story because we're not like simple folks of the 50s like we're real people and i just loved mm. it 
I mean, Simone Signor uh, in that film is beautiful. She's the the mistress. She is. Oh. Uh, she is a standout so in-, in that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so like intimidating and filling the room, like really, truly commanding the lens in you know in an older movie, which is also something I'm just not <laughs> familiar with. It's not mm-hmm. the way acting was done in any of these American films. And it's just so, I was so entranced. I forgot I was reading. I felt like I was a part of the story and I was like on the edge of my seat being like, oh, what does that mean? Wait, wait. <laughs> it was such a fun watch. I loved it. I completely agree with you. I would say actually, uh, even though it was made way back and like you said, 1955, I think mm-hmm. it probably... Even though, obviously, taking the twist out of the equation for a moment, probably mm-hmm. one of the most disturbing murders on screen I think I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I absolutely, I was kind of like, you know, assuming that they would be, because they were going to play with uh, the morals and they had started in that place, I didn't really assume that there would be anything to, um, I guess, what's the word, like, uh, that intense, like I assumed that because yeah. they had felt, you know, this way that like they were really going to do something simple. They don't want to be bad people. They're just, you know, trying to do this thing to free themselves. And I do love, uh, I guess, the choice of that because it's such a smart choice in terms of the greater story and just as effective in terms of horrifying you at like what these two seemingly ordinary women are capable of. Mm hmm. Oh, absolutely. They love it. it definitely sets up the twist as well, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. sets up the twist in such a good way that, like, only when the twist came could I be like, I wondered why that choice, and now I see, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Brutal. Brutal. Mm. Uh, oh. Yeah. I, I thought, I mean, I haven't seen it for a couple of years, but I do remember it being having a massive impact. Um, as As I think I've mentioned before, I am a a movie poster collector and I do have um, and a movie a poster it's not an original unfortunately but it is from when the BFI did a special presentation of Lady mm-hmm. Abelique I believe in 1997 and I managed to get my hands on the reprinted poster from that so I do have that in my collection which is one of my one of my prized possessions definitely oh that's amazing yeah I you know I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you because you know, I get to be in a space where you know more than me and I enjoy the way that you talk about these movies. So I'm going to get to learn them on my own terms, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think and... With, um, with Lady Abelique, I think that it was uh, one of those trendsetters as well. I think that yes. no, no film had ever really had that twist before. Um, I mm-hmm. think, um, let me just, just do, I just want to quickly just look up something. Um, sorry, mm-hmm. I, did, I wasn't prepared, but this has only just popped into my brain. Um, no problem. It was around the time, I want to say, around the time of Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. Uh huh. So, like, you've got that sort of gothic tale. Oh, 1940 was Rebecca. Yeah. So, you've got this gothic mm. tale told in a very intense environment, you know, with two characters. You've got, in Rebecca, you've got this sort of um, character who's dead, but she sort of fills every single scene, which I felt like the um mm. the murdered husband did you know even though he was dead mm-hmm. he you could feel his presence almost in every scene you know when yes. they were because 
you know, with the weird goings on and stuff that that, that he was always there in sort of the background. And I felt like with Mm -hmm. Rebecca, you know, Rebecca is always there in the background. And also Rebecca has a great twist, you know, Rebecca is, um, you know, you think Rebecca is a story about a man that can't get over his ex, his wife that's died and has taken a Mm -hmm. wife on rebound and is still in love. But then it turns out that he actually despised his ex-wife, his Mm -hmm. dead wife, you know, so there's a big twist. And I feel like that even though it's not as a momentous twist as Lady Abelique, I think that those two films are very closely linked with modern cinema because they, I think they are the films that really broke the mould of storytelling of leading mm-hmm. you down one one alleyway and then completely and utterly like flipping it, you know, in a heartbeat. Yes. Oh, so, so true. And mm-hmm. yeah, as I was watching um, this movie, I was thinking a lot about Rebecca and then Hitchcock. And then I was thinking, oh, Hitchcock is like not American. I mean, like he came over here and made movies, but he didn't grow up here. He has a much better understanding of psychology. And that's why Rebecca is so good. And also why Lady Diabolique is so good. Because yeah. they're, they're not only playing with horror elements, but they're like really interested in the human elements of horror. And that's ultimately what comes to be my favorite part of it so you know discovering that in the past there was other people who were like this is cool i'm so excited about that <laughs> yeah and that and also a connection between sort of hitchcock's work especially rebecca and lady abelique mm-hmm. is uh the paranoia you know like yes. um like mrs dewint you know mrs um De Winter's character, you know, like the, the, the lady that he marries, mm-hmm. she's paranoid about um, her husband still being in love with Rebecca. She feels mm-hmm. her presence everywhere. She's paranoid. She's she's jealous of a dead woman. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I just felt like that that oozed within Lady Abelique as well. You know, the wife was mm-hmm. terrified that her husband was still somehow uh, having a massive impact on her life, even though he was dead with bunny ears. Yes. Yeah, it was like he had dug into her psyche in the perfect way to be controlling her even when he wasn't trying to. Like she began to control herself under his teachings, if you will. And I just like how everyone was aware of that and working to promote that while also gaslighting this person because it made me think of that movie Gaslight from like 34, I want to say. I can't remember the year, but it's with Ingrid Bergman. And uh, it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen because it's the first time anyone talks about gaslighting, like in terms of culture, because it hasn't even become a principle in psychology yet either. So I remember seeing that and being like, this movie comes before anyone's written about how this is like a very real thing that will torment people in the future. Like that Mm -hmm. it will be present in many people's lives and it will be the way people treat each other normally in the US someday. Like... (laughs) Yeah, the the level of um, I'm not even sure what the word is, but like the level of wisdom that is present in some of these uh, international horror movies is so amazing to me because, you know, horror always gets this bad rap of being cheesy or, you know, being cheap. And it's just so clear that that has always been wrong. (laughs) Absolutely. I couldn't um, I couldn't agree with you more. I think a natural sort of companion piece, I would say, mm-hmm. to uh, Lady Abelique is the 1960 uh, movie Eyes Without a Face. I think Love. that is also another one that um, could be seen as sort of more avant-garde 
but at the same mm-hmm. time, um, a, a movie that really does take your hand and says, come with us, we're going to tell you a story. And then halfway mm-hmm. through, lets go of your hand, pushes you into the road and go, right, now it's, now you've got to get through this. We're not going to um, lead you down mm-hmm. the usual garden path. So I think that with um, Lady Abelique, I think it really opened up the doors mm-hmm. for more experimental <laughs> French movies uh, yes. to come through, especially Eyes Without a Face, which is another film I did study at university. And every now and again, I lay in bed, can't sleep, and that film just pops into <laughs> my head. And then oh, I'm like, I think, well, I'm I'm definitely not sleeping tonight. Oh, my gosh. I think about it all the time. It doesn't quite um, keep me awake because I, again, geeked out on it in the same way. And I love that you sort of connect these two films because I connect them as well because they're both doing something similar where they're saying, look, there are like really terrible things that people do. But there are also really terrible things that people go through that sometimes take them to these places. Mm-hmm. And Eyes Without a Face does that in such an amazing way, too, because it like there's no there is a villain, but it isn't a traditional villain. It's not it's not even real, a real story about a villain. It's just a story about uh, a family and a father mm-hmm. and trying to do trying to do the best you can with your children, uh, no matter what it takes. And I, I just loved how like you're like, oh, oh, that's like huh, I expected it to be cheesier. You know, like I really did expect it to be cheesy because even the picture, you're sort of like, that could be serious or that could be a joke. Let me see. Exactly. (laughs) You know know what I mean? I completely know what you mean. And I think that those movies really did set a standard for a very long time. I think if you look at films like... um, Oh, uh, 1960s, Peeping Tom. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Peeping Tom, that's another film that sort of really pushes the boundaries, you know, using um, mm-hmm. uh, POV, for example, of, yeah. the, of the killer. You know, all these sort of very experimental um, filming techniques. But this all came from France. Do you know what I mean? They were doing things yeah. like this way before, even though they didn't necessarily have the technology like steady cams and things like that to be able to... Mm-hmm to portray it you know to its best ability yeah. you know the sentiment and the feeling and the atmosphere and the the tension in films that came later like peep and tom owe so much to lady abelique and um yes. to uh, eyes without a face oh absolutely and it is really interesting to think of sort of like the cultural element, because what I was thinking about when I was watching these films and then thinking about some of the Japanese horror films I've seen is that they're is both that interested cool? in the horror that people can create. But French films are more interested in that horror in real time, how it's being created and where it can come from. And I feel like Japanese horror movies are, are always reminding you that it happened once, but it doesn't go away. It will find mm. a way to penetrate you through generations. And so it's like these two cultures come together to perfectly describe what psychology is trying to tell you about how the brain works. That like, exactly. It's a, con- <laughs> it's a combination of these things. It's just so friggin' astute. It, makes, it made me feel like such a nerd and I loved it. I completely agree. And... Um... You know, having been well um, immersed in the French culture, because I lived in France for three years, um, oh. I think 
yes. I think that um, the thing with Francis, especially in Paris, is Paris is one of those places where... Um, Paris is almost like an immersive theatre experience. You walk down one road and there are so many different avenues and different things that you can go and explore. But take mm-hmm. one wrong step and you can be in um, in, pa- in the Paris that you don't necessarily want to experience. That's all I'm going to say. And I took wow. those wrong steps a couple of times when I first started going out in Paris. You know, there are areas of Paris where um, you, you fare, fear to tread. Uh, so I think that that is very much like oh. French, the French, the France experience, the French experience of living in that country is that um, France is beautiful. Uh, Paris is beautiful. It's romantic. It's lovely. It's historic. But there's, there's mm-hmm. an underbelly to Paris, definitely, and to France, which definitely delves into the more psychological elements of um, horror and theatre. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of theatre, if you go into the underground of theatre in Paris... It's mm-hmm. pretty much theater of horror. Yeah. I mean. I mean, that. yeah, that's another interesting thing. You know, like, I like that you sort of say that, like, walking down the street in France is kind of like being in immersive theater, because mm-hmm. I think that that's another piece that I really appreciate here is that, like, there's some sort of thing in French films that is like, the surface is never what you think it is. No. Nope. Like, if, yeah, if you're looking at something pretty, know that there is something ugly underneath it. Like, and if even if you can't see that, people will always be reminding you, especially in the dialogue of all of these French films, there's always someone saying it is worse than you think. Right? Yeah. Like, there's someone being like, it's fine, like, we're just doing this thing. But there's always a character who's like, no, this is terrible. Like, this mm-hmm. person is deaf. <laughs> this person is doing horrible things. Right? Yeah. Like, they do have this awareness that, like, it's all theater and it's all drama. So there's going to be horror and joy. Exactly. I completely and utterly agree with you. Uh, theatre, horror and joy, I think, are probably the, the three words that I would use to describe Paris in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> I love it. 100%. I need to go. I, I'm, I've seen some I'm beautiful so jealous. things in Paris and I've also seen some absolute horrendous things um, in, in the, uh, the name of art and expression. Wow. Um, things that you walk out and you think, well, <clears throat> that I'll never forget that <laughs> for well, all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I want to go there because I. So I don't know if I've actually ever told you this, but my day job is that I am a psychotherapist. So I work with like individuals and couples, and I mostly work creatively. So I work with people in creative fields, and I mm-hmm. have a lot of international clients that come from France and have told me some of the craziest fucking stories I have ever heard in my life. Yeah. Like the capacity to which French folks can encapsulate so many ideas and still come out with only one summation is shocking. So I can imagine, you know, the immersive experience you're talking about through a couple of stories I've heard, but man, would I love to as safe as possible um, explore that space with, with you sometime, you know, you got to show me all these oh, places absolutely. I got to go. Well, I always made it a rule that if I ever went to, went into the underbelly of Paris, it would always be with someone, um, one of my French friends, in case there was a miscommunication or whether, you know, something, um, you know, I, if there's a situation that I wanted to get out of, it would be easier mm-hmm. for me because I had someone who, was, who would be able to speak fluent French and uh, 
to be a guide. Very smart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to add in as well that, um, again, we talked about Peeping Tom having the texture of Mm -hmm. those, um, those French movies. I think another film, even though obviously the setting is not French, it's, um, like Italian, but I think that, um, Don't Look Now has, um, that element of Lady Abelique. Because if you look at Don't Look Now, it's a story Mm -hmm. of, you know, someone who is, who, someone dies and they Mm -hmm. feel like they see that person all around them, you know, and it turns out not to be the person, obviously, but at the same time, you know, that element of paranoia, that element of, um, of saying to someone, look, this is happening. This is happening to me. I, sh- I assure you this is happening. And people going, yes. no, no, you're, you're wrong. What are you talking about? That's not possible. Yes. You know what I mean? Isn't that a nightmare of all of us that, you know, something is, is seriously, seriously wrong and no one will listen to you? Yes, yes. That is the other piece, you know, of this psychological element that I appreciate so much is that that is almost always in the background and something that gets taken seriously in international movies. And it rarely gets taken seriously in American movies because they would rather the twist lean on the edge of like you having been right the whole time, but no one really verbalizing that. Whereas in Mm -hmm. some of these international stories, they at least go all the way through to talk about kind of why those choices were made and what it should all mean for these characters. Like, I feel like they actually care about you truly understanding the story they were telling, as opposed to just trying to entertain you and then get you to tell your friends to come see it because it had a lot of blood, right? Like yeah. you have to have conversations with your friends. You're still going to tell them to go see it, but the amount of conversations you can have, you just, you mentioned watching Marvel movies, like it's kind of the same, but very different. Oh, definitely. I mean, I have actually sat and watched um, Don't Look Now with an ex-partner mm-hmm. a few years ago. And I don't wow. think I don't think they blinked throughout the whole film. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> there there is something amazing too, because I was just rewatching Suspiria because I knew we were going to talk, so I wanted to rewatch it because I saw that it was on like Tubi or something, and so I was like, oh, oh my god, it's available! I'm going to watch it right now. and I was thinking about how you know like I had always gotten very distracted when I watched that movie with just the visuals get like so into like what are these visuals communicating to me that I let the paranoia be something that I just sort of accepted as part of it because that's what I've come to accept as part of all of these movies but on this rewatch like feeling the way he orchestrated the rising and falling of that paranoia was like so honest Like, you know how you're scared until you open a door and then when the light goes on, in your body, the music goes away. And I feel like he did that (coughs) in such clever ways there. And I feel like in Don't Look Now, there are barely any moments of reprieve where, like, that tension isn't present. It's always present. Exactly. No, I completely agree with you. The tension in Don't Look Now is, is palpable. It really is from the very first moment. And obviously you've got Donald Sutherland and you've got the, you know, the, uh, the whole sort of behind the scenes mystery of that film anyway, because, you know, the did they, didn't they, you know, Mm -hmm. during that sex scene, isn't there the whole sort of mythology behind that? And, you know, there's so much about that that I really love, but I'm so glad that you, um, that you mentioned that next film because 
I'd actually put that into um, IMBD before you'd even said it. So that's great. That's a great segue. <laughs> yeah, really? I, I was I was thinking that because I was thinking, you know, the part of, so much of Don't Look Now for me is that Donald Sutherland like element of of sort of like grounded um, intimidation. You know, where it's like there are things about him that you can find intimidating, but you don't have to. But he could he could try to lean on them if he wants. Like, I think even outside of this film, Donald Sutherland to me is a very interesting person to watch. But that mm -hmm. that tension that's in his performance, that's something that I think in the new Suspiria they were going for. Um I just didn't like it as much. Have you seen the remake? Like before we go in on the abridged that deserves a real dig. Um, have you seen sure. the remake? Uh, so um, one of my day jobs was that I used to go and work on the, the BFI London Film Festival. Um, I used to wow. just be, you know, used to do VIP, looking after guests and things like that, uh, being PAs so cool. to whoever, whoever needed me. And... Um, Suspiria was the big film, um, mm -hmm. not last year, the year before last. Mm -hmm. Time just melts into one, but it was the big film basically, and I got to see it on the big screen. The director came on, gave a conversation, and mm -hmm. um, some of the actors were there also. Now, let me just tell you something very, very quickly. When the film started, uh, I was probably four rows from the front because it was a packed house. And okay during the scene with the dance and the girl, you know, where the crun crunching and the cracking of the bones, um, I would say pro probably the first, probably the first two rows uh, of people got up and left. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah. grotesque. And like, not yeah. the same kind of grotesque. Of as well. Yeah, not the same kind of grotesque that I like appreciate about the original because I like when something is over the top and grotesque but stylized, you know, like on purpose. It's supposed to be like, imagine if this was happening, look at these bright colors and extrapolate the reality yourself. And I really prefer that to sort of like how when they remake some of these movies that were known for being gruesome, they take it to the wrong place and do make it gruesome in a way where like, no, no, no. I'm going to legitimately be sick. Like it's the wrong color and it's fucking me up. I have to leave. You know what yes. I mean? Not a fan yep. of that. No. And I think that um, a lot of people went into that looking more at the dance element, looking at the fact that the director's previous movie was Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> oh, you know, a very whoa, really? Different... Yeah. The director's movie directly prior to the Suspiria remake was Call Me By Your Name. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy so I do to think, think of. <laughs> yeah. I do think a lot of people went in there maybe with a different sort of movie in their mind. And obviously when it came out as this gloriously violent, um, you know, grotesque, body crunching horror, I think a lot mm -hmm. of people went, okay, bye. I'm out yeah, of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's kind of like they figured out just how to gross me out, but not put me off in the original, right? Like all of that stuff is still there. It's just stylized and it's like delicately placed so that I have to look away, but I want to look back, right? Like I, I want to return to the gruesome image. And I just don't think that 
when some of these movies get remade, there's that same kind of desire to like, to want to look, you know, what don't look now is implying that like, you can't not look at something gruesome if it's happening, but if it really is putting you off, you will run away from it. You know what I mean? And also there's the build up, you know, like if something is building Mm -hmm. up and you look away at the, at the climax, so to speak, then, you know, what is the build up being for? So it has to sort of incorporate that into it. If you're, if, if the audience are, are intimidated by the payoff, do you mean mm-hmm. that whole build of contention uh, wasn't, wasn't worth it? And pe- that's all that people will remember. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the tension we're talking about that makes so many of these movies so great in the past is something that people really skip over now. And I think they think they can make up for it with, with just music or with just an effect. And it really is the coming together of all of these elements that makes it work in these classic horror films we're talking about. I agree. And I do honestly believe this is like, if I became uh, a power of, per- uh, well, if I become a powerful person at any time soon <laughs> within the film industry, which will probably never happen, but I would actually ban cgi in horror movies i like that i would go for that because i agree you know the practical effects that people are able to creatively design and engineer are much more worth my time like frankly yeah (laughs) yeah even if you watch um sort of french horror movies these days there's hardly Mm -hmm. any special um sort of cgi effects or anything like that at all used they they rely perfectly on the tension and they rely mm-hmm. on the practical effects. And, and one thing that I think that American horror movies uh, really don't understand, like horror movies sometimes, it's what you don't see that is scary yes. than what you see. Yes, very true. Suspiria um, is a perfect movie for that. I totally agree. F- yeah, that's the exactly... first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly why, like, I think when I took it for granted the first time I watched it and didn't really, like, give it its fair shake of, like, the thing it's trying to extend, you know, like, what it's building on and for. And I think rewatching it, I just loved kind of identifying, you know, like, they're, they're also commenting a little bit on, like, how Americans just treat every situation. Like, there is this uh, instinct, correct instinct, about how, like, that American character who comes over is almost immediately suspicious of everyone. Like, she kind of is. She's sort of like, oh, I'm lost. Like, I don't really love what's going on. Like, I'm just trying to, like, do me. I don't know. It's it's very weird to me, but interesting because I'm kind of like, I wonder why pick the American to be your lead. But then I thought, you know, of what I know of witch hunts, and I remembered that we talked about them briefly, and I love the witchcraft, the witchcraft element. So I don't know, there's something interesting to me about, you know, Italians being interested in this, you know, Dario Argento being like, this thing is interesting to me. And I don't know if you know more about it than I do, or can speak to that at all. Well, um, oh, Dario. Um, What I will say... (laughs) is that I think with Italian horror, um, there's always something ancient about it. There's always something like yep. a, a, a blooded hand reaching right back into the mists of time that really pull mm-hmm. you into uh, modern-day Italian horror because they have the history. And they also yeah. have something that a lot of places don't have, and that is religious history. 
as in yes. you know the Vatican being prominently placed in um, in Rome, its own city. That they have a yep. lot of religious links. So when it comes to witchcraft um, and those elements of horror taking place in a country which is perceived by a lot of the world to be the holy, you know, mm-hmm. capital, mm-hmm. you know, where the Vatican and the Pope live, I think that has an extra uh, layer of um, of I'm not trying to think of the word of disturbingness. I think it is. I think yeah. because you know these these things shouldn't be happening in this in this in you know in these sort of things. But um, obviously, it's an Italian horror film marketed for an Italian audience. But um, what I think a lot of people do forget about Suspiria that it's not actually set in Italy. Oh, that's on me because I was thinking that too. I am one of those people. Look at yeah, me go. So, oh, it's in Germany. No, no, it's no, in it's Germany. Okay. A lot. It's Germany, right? yes. So um, yes. it's okay. actually an Italian movie in English set in <laughs> Germany. So there's a lot going on there. <laughs> but I think there is. A, I think there are definitely more um, Italian sentiments in this movie than there are German or English or British or American. Mm, yeah, yeah. Dario, I think Dario Argento. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I kind of like that he, I was confused and I forgot about the German element. But when you when it clicked for me just then, I was thinking there is something interesting about how he has chosen to put a bunch of different cultures at play and sort of talk in those cultures, but, but through his own perspective. And mm. that, that is interesting because just like I am curious of like, why make your protagonist an American? And also like, why set your ballet school in Germany? Right, like, what are you saying? What are you saying about these places? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, I think Germany, I think Germany around that time was still probably in recovery, and people's, you know, memories of Germany were probably still quite um, fragile evil. from the Second World War. Mm-hmm. So, you know, evil coming from Germany wasn't actually, you know, at that that far off people's minds back in the 70s because what you're only looking at like 40 25 years or Mm -hmm. 30 years since the end of world war ii so there really is a fascination with like supernatural elements being connected to world war ii also there are so many um like horror thrillers just about kind of like nazis being into witchcraft and stuff so it's kind of that is kind of interesting to think of is that like, oh, I didn't really place those two things. But based on the time this film came out, that makes perfect sense to sort of touch on it or at the very least utilize that it's something still in our psyche. Well, there are really big things about World War Two that are, are very powerful, like the fact that um, the Nazis were digging up uh, relics and inscribing mm-hmm. these swastika on them and then going, oh, look what we found just so they can prove that uh, the Third Reich had been around longer than it, than they said right. it had been. Do you know what I mean? They were, yeah. they were digging, digging in Egypt. They were digging in most sort of European countries looking for relics to emblazon with the, uh, the Third Reich logo and the swastika to say, mm-hmm. look, we were here all along. We are the rightful right rulers of this, con- of this world. So I think that that has a massive you know, impact on the fact that the Nazis were trying to rewrite history and mm-hmm. rewriting history, we know from watching a lot of cinema is not a good idea because um, 
You can try and place a horror within history, but trust me, there are more horrors in history already that will come and get you that are lurking there so in the background. True. Like mm-hmm, the witch in Suspiria. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And like that lurking in the background, you know, feeds into that um, tension we're talking about and that feeling that, you know, something isn't right. And, you know, this idea that there are people making strategic plans in the background, you know, like that that is something that still, I think, penetrates like that's absolutely what is the problem in America right now is that like we're like at that time in our history and it's just really not fun to be a part of. But it makes me think of another movie that I wondered if you'd seen um, that was also on Criterion. So I just threw it up there because I thought it had a funny mm-hmm. title and a funny picture. Um, and it was called The Testament of Dr. Mabuse. Oh, no, I've not heard of it. OK, it's oh. a super random, like small film. It's from 1933. So it's like black and white AF and very shittily pieced together. Because when Hitler was finally able to take power in Germany, he tried to have it destroyed. So he tried to have all the copies destroyed because essentially it's a movie about there being someone who is intentionally sowing social discord in order to topple a government and take power. And so Hitler, I guess, like, you know, the writer of this movie was like, oh, Hitler banned it because it was exposing people like him. And it Mm. does the same kind of thing where it alludes that like there are these people who are just getting orders from someone but they don't see this person and that is strategically helping them dismantle uh, or sow discord in the society in Germany and it was really interesting to watch because it was sort of there was something um, like supernatural about it because Mabuse is sort of like a ghost like he he comes from lore and he was a, a person but he was a person who was a German that did witchcraft stuff. So he's now able to entrance people. So it's not really the leader of the time. It is the spirit of Mabuse taking the leader over. And that's sort of like how in Suspiria they can reanimate, right? Like they can reanimate somebody okay. with their spirit. And in 1933, they're like, yeah, people do that. That's like a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Absolutely. I'm just looking up on it now. One of my, I'm surprised I haven't seen it. Do you know what? I actually do have this on Blu-ray, but I don't think I've ever watched it. There was a time when I was obsessed with Fritz Lang after they brought mm. out the anniversary uh, steelbook edition of uh, Metropolis. And I was like, oh my God, I need to watch everything he's ever done. But unfortunately, I never got to this movie, but this is gonna, definitely going to be on my list. You're going to love uh, it. Movies to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, um, it's, I'm glad that you have the Blu-ray because it's pieced together and like it's a little bit rough around certain edges, but I bet the Blu-ray has been nice and tight for you. So you should really like it or you should enjoy it. Excellent. Um, I want to speak a lot more about um, Suspiria, if that's okay. But do you mind if we just hit these kisses quickly? Uh, yeah, they're, let's they're do it. They're like, press me, press me. So I'm going to hit the dits first and then we can uh, talk about Suspiria. Hey, Keith, good evening. Uh, I think you should have another game of this uh, horror movie thing or themes or something like that, just to get the old uh, evening going. Oh, horror, did you say horror quiz? I couldn't quite... I think think so. Oh, we're not doing a horror quiz tonight, but... um, But we will. Oh, that would be a good idea, a special edition of The Real Horror Show. Uh, yeah, we will. For a movie quiz. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. 
By the way, Keith, do you recognise the voice? Do uh, you? No. Are you the crisp muncher of, of Mumbai? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> All I can hear is your potato chips, to be honest. <laughs> Hello, guys. Uh, my name's Ben. I'm from London here in the UK. Um, Hi, just joined your podcast and... Uh, Interesting topic of uh, conversation. I'm a big horror movie lover. I do love watching horror movies. And I've got to ask, what do you think is your all-time favourite horror movie? And that goes to both of you. I'm just curious to find out. Uh, Firstly, hello, Mm. Ben. Uh, Welcome to The Real Horror Show. Um, and thank you for your question. I think, Keith, mm. you know my answer. It's obviously Scream. Um, yeah. <laughs> my favorite movie yeah. of all time. Um, I love a lot of these ones. And if I had to pick in the classic realm, like, I'm going to go Diabolique because I, I just love that movie so much. Um, so that's definitely like my, uh, if I'm trying to be a presentable person and talk like I know stuff, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> but when I'm being you honest. Know and- stuff. And I'm geeking out. I'm going straight forever. Um, Um, What about you? What's your favorite? I'm going to take it within the boundaries of the conversation um, with foreign horror movies. And it is a film Mm -hmm. that we're going to be talking about uh, later on. So don't go anywhere um, because we are going to be talking Mm -hmm. about it. I do think actually on, I think on Kilter with it, I think that Ringu is definitely my favorite Mm -hmm. But mm-hmm. I think also on a very fine balance, but for very different reasons, uh, let mm-hmm. the right one in is is there. Um, uh, but I do think I think let the right one in had a, a more emotional impact on me on many mm-hmm. different levels. But uh, Ringu mm-hmm. had an emotional um, response with me on pretty much one level <laughs> of pure. <laughs> I've just pooped my pants level <laughs> <laughs> yes yes like serious levels of unease and unnervingness yeah. and totally like uh yeah i feel like as we're starting to talk about where they're beginning to explore that level of paranoia and what we can do with it and as we like move closer and closer to the future they just keep getting better at doing that and finding mm-hmm. more nuanced ways to do it because I felt like when I was watching the original Ring and then when I went and watched Ring You, I just felt like the walls were always closing on me, even yeah. though they weren't moving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like It felt like I couldn't even really see the rooms I was in. They felt really small when I was looking at the TV, like my peripherals. You know what I mean? I agree. I know exactly what you mean. I've got a really, um, really good story about the first time that I ever saw the Ring. But I'll um, I'll save it for when we get there. But um, okay. we're going to get through these last few ditties and then we're going to continue talking. Hey guys, um, I'm happy I Hello. found this show today. I myself love horror movies too. Um, I guess it's a good segue. Um, you guys were just talking about um, France. And it made me think about um, how great but yet how brutal um, French horror films can be. Um mm-hmm. What were the names of the one I was thinking of? Oh, one of my favorites is Martyrs from 2008. That movie is so well done, so brutal, but um, yet emotional at the same time. Frontiers is another fantastic one. Um, High Tension. I just really enjoy um, kind of the extreme French horror. Do you guys feel the same way? Um, I know it's a little bit too much for some people, but the writing 
and everything behind it is just so great that even if it is makes you a bit uncomfortable i think the 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 outcome and what you get out of the films are great mm-hmm. yes i love yeah. uh the extreme french horror and i think you know he if he had caught us when we were talking about sort of like that parisian culture that you've explored and that is sort of like part of the themes of these movies I think that's why some of the films like High Tension and that like really brutal, uh, scary stuff that comes out of French cinema is so amazing because it also is, you know, trying to do, uh, just like you were saying, less CG and more practical effects and applying all of the you know, original tricks. So it, it, they're so hard to watch. But if you want to enjoy them, you have to sit through the hard parts. I thought Martyrs was a masterpiece but at the same time mm-hmm. I really struggled with it mm-hmm. oh yeah like I, very rough yeah very yes. rough yeah I would say anyone who's listening um who heard our last uh caller uh, recommendation of Martyrs please please be warned that that film yeah. is not for the faint-hearted <laughs> right trigger oh. warning legitimately trigger warning. um be Just, ready yeah be ready yeah just brought back a lot of memories. Okay, let's oh. get through the last couple. Here we go. When you say foreign horror movies, do you mean horror mm-hmm. films where the actors and the location are foreign, um, i.e. like The Ring or The Grudge and that kind of thing, or are you talking about horror films that are just foreign in, like, the setting is in a foreign country, if that makes sense? Um what kind of definition do you mean by uh, foreign, uh, foreign, sorry, uh, foreign horror movies? Like, what? What's your definition? Um, so my definition would be horror movies that are made by film companies, um, either not in the UK or not in the USA. Ditto. Yeah, like I would say it's a pretty wide open thing because I appreciate when anyone tries to make a movie not in the US either. Like even when it's a US filmmaker. So I guess I'm open to hearing all those, but I agree with you that like my real definition is if it wasn't made in the U.S., it counts. Because <laughs> I just basically we're talking about to, like basically talking be about at Asia. the table. Yeah, yeah. We're about Asia and like the in Europe, really, aren't we? Like the, yep. the as in the continent, yeah. And That's like some South really American talking. action too, like definitely yes. Uh, down there there's some good stuff coming up but yeah i just oh, yeah, i just absolutely. don't consider america to be at the table so the uk even counts for me because there are some really amazing movies and i just don't see standards over here that really match no i agree i agree thank you for your question though thank you for asking for the definition hi orange gina hey Boo. hello oh. hello <laughs> oh dear the noises that transfer across language and are just synonymous with horror. Uh, I bet you find them in every single one. Hello, everybody. Hello, Keith. Hello, Shani. Hope everyone's well. Happy Saturday. Mm-hmm. Sad that we're not out clubbing, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Mm. Horror. It's a horror. It. It's a real life horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love it. Thank you for that. So cheerful. I love it. I love the fact that he did the sounds of transcending language. Like, uh, that's true. Yep. Yes, it was very Suspiria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rewriting history, yes. He rewriting history we know from school <laughs> because the history yeah. we learned in school might not have been that true. Yes, might not have been that true. How true Thank is you. it? Who knows? Ask the white man that wrote it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, history, history, history. <sighs> Lots of people have been rewriting history in their favor, but particularly. White people. When I say white, we don't mean all white people. We mean that image of a colonial white white (laughs) human that, yes, wanted to believe that they had just a better self and was better than anyone else just because of how they looked and the genes they had. Well, uh, I'll tell you now, bloody son, that's just not the case. (laughs) Thank you, Orange Gina. I, I I love you very much, but that is not a path that I want to tread right now. <laughs> no, but definitely makes me laugh um, because I yeah. I like I like thinking about you know how as we have this conversation how there are always sort of certain perspectives you know in the writing and in the filmmaking to sort of tell you how do these people think of themselves you know what is the world that these folks are living in. And I think in the movies we're talking about, those worlds are much richer because they're not as inherently selfish, right? Like our characters are often doing very selfish things, but they are such dynamic people that they are not just the selfish act they're going to do in this story. And I think a lot of American movies get very stuck in just the initial selfishness and they kind of stay there. And then it's about punishing you for selfishness, which is really strange because We'll punish you for selfishness in the horror movie and then reward you for selfishness in the culture. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's I why I really like, you know, looking at the way that foreign horror can bring in human elements that like American horror is just like not really smart enough to do yet, I guess. No, I agree. And, you know, some people might look as, look at Suspiria as very overplayed. I mean, some of the mm-hmm. acting sometimes is very over the top. Um, you know, more style than substance. I mean, I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of substance in Suspiria. But a lot, of, <laughs> Me too. a lot of reviews at the time did say that Suspiria was gorgeous looking, but not much to it. Um, mm-hmm. I do disagree. <clears throat> it is a beautiful well, I... film to look at, but it also yeah. has a lot of um, a lot yeah. going on underneath. A lot going on underneath. Yeah, I mean, that is why I asked you that initial question about, like, why do you think that he chose his protagonist to sort of be this visiting American? And the more that I think about it, the more I think that it is sort of like a comment on the way Americans see themselves. Is that, like, when they go to another country, they see themselves as, like, knowing better than the people who live there. Like, knowing something they don't know and being smart enough to uncover uh, this thing that people are trying to hide from them. And it's really interesting how, like, that is the narrative of our main gal. Like, she, people are like, nothing is wrong, which, you know, there is something wrong. But it sort of, like, is what Americans believe life is about. That, like, there are these mysteries and we solve them. <laughs> yeah. Also, maybe, just to bring a bit of comedy into that, that um, scenario as well, maybe if it mm-hmm. was a, an Italian protagonist, they would have walked into that school 
and seen all those red drapes and all that dramatic lighting and gone, oh, this looks like my grandma's house. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. There'd be no... There'd be no reason for them to not find some level of understanding there or be able to personalize it. And that is something that like American characters often do not do in a different setting. They don't personalize or connect with the reality of the places they go. They're like, I bring America with me everywhere I go. And yeah. I think that's why course, I like, it? yes, yes. It's the kind of fish out of water where it's like, the fish thinks that being out of water makes it more powerful than the beings that can live out of water. I don't yeah. really know, but I like how in horror we're always paying for that. And like in all horror movies, when we are really acting like Americans in horror movies, we get, we pay for it. And hostile <laughs> is a great example of that. <laughs> I love it. Now I have to tell this story and I have to tell it basically to get you excited because as Ooh. we know, um, Shani B is coming over and is going to be coming to the next Fright Fest uh, mm-hmm. with me in London. Uh, and Dario Argento is a regular attendee of Fright Fest. In fact, I think he lives there. I mean, I'm gonna he's ask always him. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, really I am amazing. going to ask him if I can. I will absolutely try to ask him because I need to know. <laughs> yes. I mean, he's um, the last time I went, which was not last year, the year before, um, mm-hmm. he had just brought out, I believe, his autobiography, of which um, I got, we got the signed copy. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's just a legend, really. And yeah. he's, very, he's still very into his, um, his horror. He openly admits that some of his latter films have not been up to standard. But he puts that mm-hmm. down to the fact that he's getting old and he has to ask yeah. young people to do things for him and sometimes they don't do it right fair yeah that makes sense i feel, I, I i can hear that yeah not many people know also mm-hmm. the suspiria is the first part of a trilogy Ooh, Ooh that's interesting yes Ooh, tell me more about that what is what consists so, of the trilogy so the Suspiria is the first part of a trilogy called The Three Mothers. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm just choking to death. <clears throat> okay. So I can't even mention them without them trying to kill me. Um, the Three <laughs> Mothers. So The Three Mothers um, continue um, in the movie Inferno, which is also a Dario Argento film, uh, which right. is set in America, which is, a, again, yep. a very, very... Um, very interesting film. Not as good as mm-hmm. Suspiria. A lot of a lot of style in that movie. Uh, in fact, I think I would say that um, that Inferno does have a lot more style than substance mm-hmm. because um, there's some motivations of characters in that film that you watch and you think, "Why are they doing that? <laughs> That's weird." That's okay. A really okay. Odd choice. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it continues with uh, Inferno. And then the final part of the trilogy uh, is called Mother of Tears, because that's the mother that it deals with. Right. So, um, yeah, so the, the mother in Suspiria is called the Mother of Sighs. Mm-hmm. As in sigh, like, oh, sigh. Um, right. Um, the second mother in, in Inferno is the Mother of Darkness. And the third mother in um, Mother of Tears is Mother of Tears amazing yeah so you can catch Very those cool. films as well inferno and mother of tears i'm not gonna lie to you mother of tears 
uh, is um, a little bit of a letdown. But Inferno very much carries on the visual style of Suspiria. Interesting. Okay, I am definitely going to have to get pull up a chair and watch. Um, because <laughs> I am always interested. Yeah, in like... I really do like when a director is sort of making a trilogy with their own work. Like they're writing and directing a trilogy that exists outside of just the world in the films and is really more about them exploring like humanity across different platforms. And I think that like Gary Argento makes me always think of Cronenberg and Cronenberg's Canadian. So like, I don't know where we stand on them as international <laughs> horror makers. But, yeah. you know, like there is something really similar to to them uh, about them to me and, you know, how there 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 is this body horror element that Dario Argento's into also, you know, like not quite in the same way that Cronenberg is, but like the body is a piece of what's happening to it in Dario Argento's movies, especially in Suspiria and like bringing the dance, right? Like mm. the body is why the body is cracking. You know, the body is this delicate thing and a fragile thing capable of dying and it is being killed. And so there's yeah. something kind of interesting about the body element and then how that can, that can be explored in different ways if you do a trilogy around it. So I got to see. Sure. I got to see. I mean, I, like, I actually quite like to think of the remake of Suspiria not being a remake, but actually a continuation. Ooh. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, you know, I don't actually... like. To... Yeah, I don't like to I think gonna... of it as being a separate entity to the original Mother of Tears trilogy, or Mother, uh, mm -hmm. th sorry, the Three Mothers trilogy. Uh, what I will say is that Mother of Tears, um, Dario Argento did cast his daughter Asia Argento in the main role. Amazing! <laughs> so I love it. That was that was a good choice, I think, because she she did play it really well. But it's just. It's just an interesting little oddity. Do you know what I mean? That mm -hmm. Suspiria mm -hmm. did so well and not many people realise that it's actually part of a trilogy. But yes, it is. Um, just wow. going on slightly um, down this route of Argento. I know it's not um, a, um, an Argento film, although he was massively involved in it. It was uh, mm -hmm. a Bava, Bava film. Uh, Demons. Yes. Now, I was go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, Demons gave me nightmares from just looking at the uh, the cov front cover of the VHS. Yeah, yeah, it, it's good. Um, and you know, it has that same sort of uh vibe where the you can tell that it's like tight, like there, there's depth in that picture, um, where it feels like they're moving towards you, even though they're not moving. Yes. And what I also love about Demons and Demons 2 is the fact that mm -hmm. the fourth wall pretty much is, doesn't exist. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like that feeling I was talking about where the room is closing. This image makes me feel like the room is closing. And then feeling like I am inside of this situation is even worse. Like I agree the, the fourth wall. Like I'm like wherever it is, I can't hide behind it. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm looking at the movie poster now, and it's got one of the great taglines. <clears throat> I'll try and do it in my um, my movie Ooh, yeah. trailer voice. <clears throat> they will make cemeteries. There. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals, and the cities will be your tomb. 
<laughs> and then it's got the it. bottom a film by um, Lamberto Brava, music performed by Billy Idol. <laughs> uh, amazing. Yeah, I love the little I love the little quirks of some of these um, uh, older movies too, like how musicians did the craziest stuff that they all, they never talk about anymore. Like, why isn't why? Billy Idol talking about his his work on this? <laughs> Yes. I mean, why not? Why not? Um, I'm just heading over to the, um, the, the Blu-ray collection to, um, to pick out uh, my Demons uh, 1 and 2 steelbook that I got from Arrow Video. I don't work for Arrow yes. Video. You seem to think I do because of how much I uh, talk about them. But You yeah, really Demons should. They should at least hire you as an influencer at the very least. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I've actually got the um, I've got the steel book as well, but I've got the two single releases as well, uh, which mm-hmm. I actually got because of the artwork. And uh, Shani B, if you keep a post on Instagram within the next few minutes, I will send you some artwork there. I'll put it on my Instagram as well, guys, if you're interested. Amazing. But um, yeah, Demons Demons One basically is all set in a cinema. And people are mm-hmm. watching a film, and the evil like comes out of the of the of the film that they're watching, and then someone gets scratched, and then they become a demon, and then basically terrorize the rest of the theater, of the cinema. Um, but then Demons Two, <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, Demons Two is all set in a tower block, and basically the the plot is that the people in the tower block are watching Demons One on the TV in the tower block and then oh, something comes out of the telly and uh, attacks them and then they become demons. So fourth wall smashing. Yep. You know. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Well, and also, yeah, also the beginning of, of someone examining this idea that like the stories we create are going to have a lasting effect on us too, right? Like what we consume and what we create does get turned back through us and we were talking a little bit about that, you know, the last time we were talking about just how you know movies can have an effect on people and they can misinterpret them and do terrible things. And I just feel like that's exactly what, you know, Demons is talking about, is that, like, the, the wrong person can take the wrong thing from here and then take over, you know, make the cities your tomb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I have to tell you this funny personal anecdote because there's a movie from the 90s with Arnold Schwarzenegger where um, a kid gets a magic movie ticket that makes the movie come to life and Arnold Schwarzenegger's action star character comes through the screen to, you know, real-time New York City and it's super fun. And then also the villain comes out, and so they have to, you know, fight in real life. And I remember that I had seen that as a kid, and when I watched Demons, I was like, amazing. Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> jacked this idea and was like, let's make it cheesy, let's market it to kids. And little Shan saw that movie. Oh, wow. You're, of course, talking about The Last Action Hero. Is that the film? And that is the I, one classic. Yes. I vaguely remember it. Uh, my brother was a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, had everything. So I can remember it. I can picture the DVD now on his on his shelf. But yeah, I mean, very, I mean, oh God, 
Can you imagine if you got the movies mixed up? What's that film about things coming out the uh, the screen? Oh, <laughs> Last Action Hero. No, Demons. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you'd really be you'd be in for it if you mix those two up. And Absolutely. it is just funny how you know, like an idea is only a piece, right? Like what Dario Argento is trying to do in the filmmaking is make that idea something that is unique and specific to what he's trying to get us to feel. And I think that's, you know, again, what I like about both Suspiria and this movie is like the walls are always closing in on me. The sound is always starting to wrap around me and now like somehow getting into the back of my head, (laughs) you know, like they're, it's very invasive. That's the word. Like the, it feels so invasive when I'm watching Demons for sure. Um, I haven't seen Demons 2 in such a long time. I've got to do that. Um, I will say I if there's any way that we could do a rewatch of Demons 1 and 2, because I did it a few years ago with my friend Tom, and it was the best night. Mm-hmm. Couple of ciders, Demons 1 and 2, oh my God, it's the best fun. The most fun you'll have. Yes. <clears throat> we should absolutely do that. We could do that for another one of our real horror show eps, because I am just loving having these conversations, and I don't want to stop until we have talked about everything. Until there's no stone left unturned. Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to find a segue from demons into the next films that I'd like to talk about. So um, we've spoken about uh, French horror. We've talked about Italian horror. Now, Mm -hmm. the next, obviously, ideal route to go would be German um, horror. I mean, there is things like Goodnight Mummy that we could talk about, although I haven't seen that in a little while. But, um, and you've done an amazing talk uh, quite recently about, um, I was going to say Hunger Games. Funny Games. games. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yes. No, I love it. Um, Yes, Um, yes. Yeah, like uh, uh, German is the logical next choice, but I feel like we are going to run out of time if we don't move to Japanese horror, which we do need to go over there. Yeah, I feel like German horror is definitely like worth a chat, but it is in line with what we've been talking about in terms of sort of like really being able to look at that feeling of safety when there's not really safety present, interested in Mm -hmm. the psychology of of crime and human horror. And I think I it's it's great for us to to go there, but we should segue into, you know, what happens in the aftermath, because I don't think that Dario Argento like really cared how you felt. Uh, for the next couple of days after watching Suspiria. Like, I bet he thought that if you were affected by it for the next couple of days, then that's cool for him. And that's the whole game in Japanese horror. You know, like, what are the effects of the bad things that you do? Yeah, and I suppose we should just uh, uh, delve... Actually, before we do this, let's get these days down to zero, uh, and then we can can delve, like, head deep into this. Yo, big up Shiny B and Keith Andrew. How are we going, people? A real horror show. Ooh, I'm going to enjoy this. Let's go. Okay. Enjoy, mate. I have to admit, and, and, and seriously, I've never really seen that many horror films. Purely because I kind of shit myself. And, you know, and I, <laughs> I, I do. I get scared. So that's why mm-hmm. I tend not to. But I saw one um, a few years back now. Um, and, I, and I think it was called uh, A Tale of Two, Two Sisters yes. or something like that. Um, and yeah. it was one of them Korean, Japanese type films. Uh, please yep. forgive me, I should know this, but obviously it was in a foreign language <laughs> and I was reading the subtitles. 
but that scared the shit out of me. And you know, there's something about these Japanese, Korean type kind of horror movies. They really get it right, man. They know how to get into your yeah. psyche um, and just freak the shit out of you. Yeah. yeah. Love yep. that film. Yep. Yep. That's that's exactly what I I agree with. That's why these films are so penetrative because they know how to get into your psyche too in a whole different way. We're going to talk about that film in a moment, Rishi. I promise. Sorry, I. I thought I'd had a quick snack while Rishi was talking, but it was quicker than I thought. <laughs> hey, Keith, man. Thanks for the invite the other day, brother. I was kind of locked into uh, a, uh, a show a show that morning, so I couldn't do it. But I, you know, there's no way to like send you a message like, oh, that doesn't work for me. But anyway, man, I hope you're well. I'm going to hang out. I'm, I'm not into horror movies. Fucking scared as shit of horror movies. Like the yeah. type of motherfucker to like jump out of my seat in a horror movie. It's, mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous. The best. How you doing, uh, Shanny B? Listen, we're we're hanging. I'm, I'll hang out and be scared a little bit by this conversation. I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks, Doctor <laughs> nice. B. No worries, my hey, hey. my friend. No worries at all. The last action hero. I can never forget that. I'm a big Arnie fan. Huge Arnie fan. Yes. There you go. Yep. Had <laughs> to tap it. <laughs> and it was weird because Arnie goes into a video shop and he, see, and he sees Sylvester Stallone in a movie poster as the Terminator in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Still remember oh, yeah. to this day. It's an early <laughs> meta film. It really is an early meta film and it's a good one. <laughs> I remember loving that film very much. Okay, here oh, we go. Yeah. And there's one film I still can't watch to this day, and I know it's not a foreign film, but it's The Exorcist. I don't know what that film's done to me. It just, yeah, oh, I do it love it, but it just, not, it, it, it does something to me. I just, I, it really scares me. It really does. I can't go upstairs. It's like, I need to, like, if I've watched the film, I need to make sure the lights are all on so I can get up, but then I'm fucked because I need to turn them off before we sleep. And it's just, <laughs> oh, I, I'll get myself in a right frenzy. <laughs> Bless so you, true. <laughs> yeah, I guess man. we could consider The Exorcist as a foreign film because I think aren't they in London or something? No, they're in Georgetown. Like, okay, yeah, I was gonna say I, I know that they're that they that it's about an actress on location with her daughter, right? Like that's the story. Ellen Burstyn, I think she's American, but they're in the Georgetown, mm-hmm. like the university. Right. It's Georgetown in Washington, it is, isn't it? Okay, yeah, okay. Because I knew that they were, she's like an actress or something, and maybe they were yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I can't remember the story because all I can remember are the hor- horrifying images that still haunt me. I've only really mm. seen it like three times because it creeps me the fuck out and it just doesn't yeah. feel worth it. <laughs> it doesn't feel worth it at the end. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's in Georgetown, Washington, but they do have opening sequences in um, Iraq. Oh, okay. yeah. The opening sequence in the uh, in in the Exodus was actually filmed in Iraq, where they had the archaeological dig, and Father Merrin sees the uh, the statue for the first time, and you hear the bees and the dog fights and everything. So yeah, uh, it does take place abroad uh, for okay. some of the movie. Um, okay. Right then, okay. Let's let's um, honor Rishi to begin with uh, with our first delve into. Uh, Asian horror. Uh, let's talk about yes. Tale of Two Sisters, because I think that um, not only is the Tale of Two Sisters probably one of the best psychological thrillers out there, 
Um, mm-hmm. What I love about Tale of Two Sisters is that it really grips you from the word go, but also has a brilliant twist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like they're the same kind of things we're talking about, like this idea of, you know, building suspense and creating paranoia and like uh, a subtle level of rise in discomfort is all there. But there's also something so like, nice and stoic about the performances like mm-hmm. they're they're so contained in a way that like if you watch the american remake they're just like it's not as good um it's laughable um but the yeah like the acting in this one is really what grabs me because it really make, made me feel super anchored and it does get in your psyche in the sense of like you know are you seeing what you want to see or are you seeing what is happening? Right. Like exactly in life, this is something that I think we're all, we all don't realize is happening to us all the time because we're not always having to retell stories with someone we experience something with. Usually it's just us retelling a story to people who Mm -hmm. weren't there. And so, you know, what is, what really happened and what did I think happened? And I love, uh, I don't know. I love this one. This one really did blow my mind where I was like, oh, shit. I just didn't see it. I did not catch that that was happening here. Exactly. And um, uh, Jung Aum, who plays uh, the mum, the stepmother. Oh, wow. That's perfect. a performance. Yep, exactly. Again, like so grounded and so tight and perfectly like measured right in a way where it's like ripe for total misinterpretation if you wanted it to be right like every piece is like oh if you're watching this movie from this perspective then you're gonna see it this way if you watch this movie from this perspective you'll see it that way and if you try to watch from this perspective you can even see it that way yeah like there are (laughs) it's crazy uh how well yeah how well everybody sort of like knows who they are and what they're doing in this dynamic because again the the American version just like can't even nail that chemistry, if if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense, and also um, it does have one of the best jump scares of when she sees the the body underneath the sink or the girl underneath oh. the sink. That is absolutely terrifying. I will say one of the reviews <laughs> of it on um, on um, IMBD says, "See this masterpiece before Hollywood destroys it." <laughs> <laughs> and Hollywood absolutely was like, "You're too late. We started already. It's going to be yeah. destroyed." <laughs> uh, yeah, but if, if uh, I mean, don't watch it, guys. Go and watch the original. But there is a remake yes. of the Uninvited, um, the American remake. It's That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. And again, bringing in the element of you know young girls, um, sort mm-hmm. of girls that are going through puberty. And mm-hmm. going through like traumatic experiences or having gone through a traumatic experience and sort of dealing with the aftermath and then seeing, you know, the experience becoming a lot worse for them, you know, is a common theme throughout yeah. Asian horror, whether it be Japanese yeah. or Korean. Yeah, like this idea of like, how do you grow and what does having gone through a tragic trauma do to your growth and to your identity? and to your perspective. Like there's some really amazing forward thinking in terms of like the reality of what general uh, generational patterns are, right? Like 
what are you going to tell your kids about what just happened? You know, at the end of Poltergeist, they just wheel out the TV. There's no family discussion about the horror that ensued. And yeah. uh, Asian horror is always interested in being like, we should all be aware of these things. Like, we're not going to talk about them outside of our families, but like, there needs to be a, an awareness that these things are present. Exactly. I exactly. Love it. It's like um, perfectly, film... you know, unspoken in the best way. No, I agree. I agree. Very well put. Also, another film that I really loved, um, I only saw quite recently, actually, only this Halloween, was The mm-hmm. Wailing. Have you, are you aware Ooh. of The Wailing? I'm not. I, I, I haven't seen it, but I, I feel like I've heard of it, but I could be, you know, like mixing it up. So you'll, you'll have to pass me some info on it so I can check no it worries. out. Tell me a little bit about it. The Wailing, it's like, uh, like a stranger arrives in like this village and <laughs> as soon as they arrive, this like mysterious sickness starts spreading and there's a policeman Whoa. and he's drawn into the incident and is forced to solve like the mystery in order to save his daughter because she gets the sickness. Um, okay. and it's called The Wailing. It is brilliant. Um, all, I, won't, I won't go into too much detail because I want you to, to, to go in it afresh. But what I will mm-hmm. say is the one film that ended... And I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. <laughs> Amazing. I literally okay. had to go. I had to close my mouth. I was, <coughs> I was absolutely like gobsmacked at the end. It's wow. brilliant. Okay, it's I'm gonna, good. I'm, yes, um, I'm going to have yeah. to uh, watch that. So let's talk about um, when J-Horror exploded in the world. I think it was The Ring that initiated mm. that sort of fanfare. And it was followed yep. by films like The Grudge, um, The mm. Eye, uh, Phone mm-hmm. was another one. But let's focus on, um, let's talk about The Grudge for a moment. And then, we'll, then we'll, uh, we'll use the rest of the episode to talk about The Ring, if that's okay. And then we can go back to um, maybe some Nor- Norwegian horror movies next time. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say was I want to maybe, because I can't stay for too much longer. And I want to talk yeah. more about some of these uh, like other Korean horror and I want to talk some South American and Norwegian too so I was just going to ask if we could do another and I'm glad you were already thinking of this yeah Um, absolutely but yeah why don't we talk about sort of like the explosion there and the ring a little bit and then maybe take these ditties and pick up you know in a couple of weeks the the rest of this convo Um, because yeah yeah, I I, I, I think you nailed it though like when the ring happened and America was like, we're going to try to take it seriously. And they made the really smart decision to grab Naomi Watts, who is clutch every time. Yeah. Uh, it, they just sort of like respectfully were able to remake it. And sadly, they just really couldn't continue that trend. But it didn't stop them from trying. And it really mm-hmm. did explode. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, 1998. Yeah, the, when mm-hmm. The Ring was released. I think it took the... Um, the it took Hollywood definitely, you know, by surprise because here was this mm-hmm. relatively low budget film that was based on a book, um, mm-hmm. made really well, but not only made really well, made with with real care to detail. And I mean, when I say that, I mean uh, relationships between characters really well um, written, but the sound in that film is what gets me. Mm-hmm. The sound design yes. in The Ring is probably the best sound design in any film, let alone horror film. 
oh, I totally agree. Like that feeling of the music sort of like enveloping me and coming and like entering the back of my head that I get from like Suspiria and what Dario Argento is doing, the ring does, but with sound design and like natural sounds, right? Like not necessarily just music, but, but sort of natural sounds that are just askew. I totally agree. Like the sound design is, oh, is such an important piece that of course, you know, people will always forget. <laughs> yeah. And I also think what's really clever about The Ring is that it ties into almost something that Wes Craven did with A New Nightmare, or uh, sorry, A Nightmare yes. on Elm Street. So you have mm-hmm. something very naturalistic. Everybody sleeps. Everybody, yep. you know, has to sleep. And therefore, that's when it gets you. And you watch mm-hmm. this video and in seven days, you're dead. But we're sitting there and we're watching the video along with our, you know, protagonist. We're watching it. Yep. We're actively involved in the act of watching yeah. that. We watch her get the phone call. So not only are you sitting there watching this film and you're like seeing the story unravel, you are an an Mm -hmm. active participant in the fact that you have also uh, witnessed this um, very disturbing uh, video, cursed video, which Mm -hmm. will kill kill, um, our protagonist in seven days. We are actively engaged in that. And I think that that is the genius of the ring. That we're, yes. we're, we're along for the ride, but we're, we're also mm-hmm. palpable. Well, yeah, because we get to do it in sort of like a meaningful first person way with the ring. And we were just talking about how in the third person we saw that happen in things like Demons and The Last Action Hero. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there was a, this idea that this thing could come through the screen, which, you know, of course, you know, she is somehow encapsulated in this film so she can she crawls through the screen at least in the american version i haven't seen the uh, original like since the same time i watched the american version but um you know she comes out and this thing is something we're now engaging with so like we could imagine it coming out personally in our house because that's sort of like the way that this film treats it that like you could watch it in a group of people it's all going to come and get you when you're alone yeah no absolutely so i just want to tell you this very quick story so I was babysitting mm-hmm. for my sister and um, back in the day, Channel 4, um, which is one of our channels here in the UK, used to mm-hmm. uh, have a horror movie on a Friday night. But what they used to do is they used to do like a little documentary at the beginning. So Mark Kermode, mm-hmm. who was our very prestigious film critic here um, in the UK, who was involved in um, getting The Exorcist back on our shelves after its banning mm-hmm. in the 80s. Uh, Amazing. He, he um, did a documentary about Ringu and was re- like, it had never been seen before. It hadn't even been released in the UK on VHS, DVD or whatever the medium was at the time. So this was the first time people in the UK wow. were watching Ringu. And he mm-hmm. did this massive build up to it. Uh, didn't, didn't show us any scenes, just spoke about that sequence at the end where she comes out of the television in a way mm-hmm. of how he felt when he first experienced it. And of course, you're watching it going, yeah, 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 just show us the film. Okay, Mark, we know you're passionate about these sort of things. You like to over-exaggerate mm-hmm. sometimes. Let's get on with it. And I was probably, mm-hmm. what, so uh, um, I was 12, 13 at the time? Yep, I, I think that's right. Yeah, we're, we're so like I was the same age. watching it. And mm-hmm. uh, the film continued. And it was probably one of the first films I've ever seen with subtitles. So I was really concentrating to make sure that I understood the story. Mm-hmm. And the lights were off. My my parents were out. My sister and brother were upstairs sleeping. When that sequence happened, not only did it scare me, 
it paralyzed me. And now you might think, don't be so dramatic. I kid you not, I was laying on the on the couch watching it. And when I was watching that sequence and, all, and the ending happened, I couldn't move. Ooh. I was so <laughs> scared, mm-hmm. so terrified that I couldn't even put my feet down onto the floor because in my mind, um, Sadaku was in the room with me at that point. I was yeah. so terrified. Well, that's something else. Yeah, I was going to say, that's something else I really love about this movie is that like, there is like this trance-like quality being leaned on, right? Like there is something entrancing about this video that we're all watching. There is something entrancing about the way the sound design supports that we should be focusing on watching it and how, you know, we are going from sort of like uh, spectator to participant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that I like that you that it fully took your body over and paralyzed you in this way because I think that's what it was trying to do. It was like looking to hypnotize us as we watched it. Well, it definitely did that. I can tell you something. <laughs> I, I've never been so scared. I think if anyone ever asked me what is the most scared you've ever been in a movie, my two things would be when I watched the Blair Witch Project with headphones on. That was terrifying. Amazing. And um, <laughs> that moment in the ring. Uh, when Sadaku comes out of the TV, that to me, still to this day, when I think about it, um, really fills me with like primal dread. Do you know what I mean? Like the dread of mm-hmm. you are not even safe in your own home because this thing could be coming out of the TV. And we're watching that sequence with her in the well. You know, yep. like she could come out at any moment. Mm-hmm. And I think, personally, I think that the American version was okay. But again, yep. I think that the uh, the usage of digital effects to um, to show that end sequence of her coming out the TV was a mistake. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think again, the American version sort of missed like what the original is going for, which is that like this thing is going to come out and enter the room here because you're not safe in your own home because real horror follows you around. It comes with yeah. you into every house you move into. It goes through you in your family, into your children, right? Like it is this thing that is always in the room with you, whether or not you can see it. And yeah, that's something that like, I think I, when I talk about some of the other ones, like the grudge in the eye uh, is like a theme that I definitely want to talk more about with you because mm. you're right. Like the in the original, the way that she comes through and it feels like she is now in a room with you is so easily destroyed by like the digitizing of the image of her pushing through the screen. Like, you know, some nerd geeked out on the technology that made that look so real and it ended yeah. up looking really cheesy. <laughs> you no, know, I agree. <laughs> and I do think one of the overriding themes of why the ring is so scary and why I didn't like necessarily being handled in that way is that mm-hmm. the scary thing about um, Sadaku or Samara, if you want to use the American version, is that, mm-hmm. um, you know, here's a young girl that was murdered. Do you know what I mean? Murdered by her her mother. Um, yep. You know, for being different and for being, you know, for projecting the image into her mind, basically being different. Murdered, mm-hmm. and then and then she's thinking, well, guys, I'm going to put all of my, you know, torturous thoughts onto a videotape and spread my my fear and and my anger. 
Do you really mm-hmm. think that going down into a well and finding my body and bringing me out is going to, is going to, you know, make me glad and happy and my anger's going to dissipate? Hell no, guys. I'm still here. I'm still <laughs> pissed off. I'm coming after you. Well, and that's love- exactly, yes, that's exactly what I mean when I say like this thing follows you around. Just because you came and you opened up my grave and you carried me out of it doesn't mean that that makes up for the years of turmoil that I endured and then I was covered up, right? Yeah, like, there's still, it, right, there's still an effect and some unresolved things that you can't save just by uncovering it. So that's an interesting thing, too, because I think, you know, like, that's a flaw of American stories. Is they're like, oh, all it takes is this one thing and we will defeat the evil. And Japanese horror, Asian horror is kind of like, no, that's not how it works. Like, horror is a penetrative thing that surrounds you. It's not just one little thing you can put your hands on. It, it is uh, porous and soaking into you. Yeah. yeah, and just because you do something that you think cleanses your conscience doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's going to stop. Do you know what oh, I mean? That might be the best part of this. Um, especially the ring, because, you know, like it really is a story about motherhood. And, you know, I what's weird about the sequel is I feel like they go there. They go to an interesting place where they're sort of like, if you're a mother with a child that seems evil, um, then you should feel vindicated in killing it. (laughs) Yes, it's kind of it's kind of crazy where they end up going. Um, And that that to me is like why the original is good and and the original original is where you have to go first because you can really just enjoy the american as like an homage but if you want the like reality of the story that we're looking at here then the original knows how to do that has to talk how to talk about that rage in a meaningful way no i agree and i do think that the um just going to throw this out here i do think that the the american sequel is a very weird very odd like this oh trash film it's trash oh, absolutely okay, trash absolutely it. trash yeah again so sad know, but i also think that samara or sadiku whatever um, version you're watching the reason why mm-hmm. that she will never stop you know she says that in the american version and i will never stop just because mm-hmm. you know you've got um very selfish sort of self self um sort of motivated actions going on by Naomi Watts or the actress in the original, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. to save them their child. Do you know what I mean? But then Sadiku mm-hmm. or Samara's looking at that going, well, if your child wasn't at risk, would you be going this extra mile for me? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was abused, mm-hmm. I was murdered by my mother. Would you actually be doing this if there wasn't any clear and present danger to you or your son? Or your kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because children are going to get treated like this every single day, you know, yeah. and the fact that you like your kid is not special. You and your kid are not special. This is uh, yeah. something that's bigger than you guys. And I agree, you know, like that again is sort of that lasting thing that follows you is that like, I have to feel like stopping and it's going to take more than just uncovering me to make me feel like it's okay to stop because there is something interesting about how, you know, the villains of, ju- of, Asian horror films are really more restless souls, you know, like people who are tortured themselves and trying to figure out how to get, get, get free of the thing that they are tortured by, by torturing in some way. It's very, 
it's really cool. And it's something that I feel like I don't know enough about, but I sense. And so I'm just curious if you, if you connect to it at all in that way. And yeah, I want to see how the more we talk about these movies, the more it might show up. Yeah. And I think we can talk about more as well that when it comes to, um, like the dead and the spirits returning, you have to remember mm-hmm. that um, in in Asian communities, how they bury and remember their dead is very different to how we do it here in the West. So uh, that has a lot to do with how they view their uh, their afterlife and the, mm-hmm. their their sort of ghostly figures. So I, I think we can definitely have a big conversation about that next time we're talking about Asian horror. Wonderful. Well, then let's uh, take these ditties and kind of wrap it up for now. And then yes, let's pick absolutely. up there because, yeah, I, I am really already looking forward to it. <laughs> Excellent. Right, let's hit this one. Yeah, that's right. They find the, the demon statue in Iraq. That's correct in the beginning, yep. Yep, that's in The Exorcist. Yep, helpful, helpful. Thank you, Rishi. Yeah, and if I remember correctly from the movie, there was uh, it, it, obviously it's all based in kind of like with um, not a mental asylum, so to speak, but you know people with mental health problems and psychology and stuff. But what is it about people horror films and people in kind of s- psychological thrillers and stuff like that? I mean, it, it's weird how when you know something is mentally affecting a person. And that how scary that can be, you know. That and I, I don't know if you get what I'm trying to say there. I've confused myself yeah. a little bit actually, but yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you ponder on that while I find the words to say it. Well, that is psychological horror, isn't it? You know, totally. someone being tortured mentally by something is scary because it's not something that's physically necessarily happening to them. It's nothing, you know, like they're not being like savagely attacked physically it's something that's happening mm-hmm. in the mind and things that are happening in the mind are much more scary than actually anything physically that could happen to you yeah because it could happen to anyone anywhere right like you can just believe that your house is haunted or a ghost can come to your home kind of no matter what and it, especially if you're looking at it from a psychological perspective so yeah. there is something interesting to how people are are both obsessed with like religious uh, abnormalities, like visiting any man or the everyman, and how psychological thrillers do the exact same thing, but I guess encounter. Yeah, and I think also just to add to that, I think the reason why uh, some movies depict things like mental asylums and things like that, uh, because I think that um, in built into us, in in built into us, I think as a race memory is the conclusion that we're all one step away from being mad. Yeah. I mean, we we could all end up in an asylum at any time. Just look at, um, you know, um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's everyone's worst nightmare is being told that you're crazy when you Mm -hmm. know that you're not. Exactly. And Um, a lot of horror reflects that. Yep especially when it comes to these films and the trauma element. Like, we're all one step away from it because we're all one step away from a personal trauma that could push us to that place. Exactly. I'm not, we're not going to talk about it now, but I just wanted to throw out a film um, that I think has been the best recent um, sort of example of that, and that's um, The Invisible Man. Yes. Oh, yes. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that next time. Let's earmark and be yeah. sure to talk about that. Absolutely. Right, here we go. Perfect. Hello. 
<laughs> I think you might yeah. be a child. Yes, totes, <laughs> totes waste of our time, but perfectly fine because we are going to spend so much more time uh, talking about this. And, and then again, we'll be talking soon more uh, more sequels, right? Like we're going to have a sequel conversation as well. Soon. We are going to have a sequel conversation. And um, I'm just checking the... Uh, la, 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 ba, ba. I'm really bad at checking my um, my rotor. Let's have a look. Well, I don't even know what day it is. That's lockdown. Oh, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, like hit me up on Instagram. I'm going to figure out how to correctly get you into that document so we can keep just making lists because I want more recommendations too because there are some that you and I have both seen like in our journeys, but then there are some that you know that I've never even heard of, which really gets me excited. So mm. we'll have to get, you know, queued up that way. And then I'm really looking forward to talking again next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for everyone that's listened. And thank you, Shani B. You know how much I uh, appreciate you and appreciate these conversations. This is literally me in uh, stereo talk heaven with this combo. Oh. So thank you so much. Ditto, ditto, ditto. ditto. Have a <laughs> lovely evening. You too, lovely. And take care. And uh, we'll be back very, very shortly with uh, a real horror show sometime in the very near future. Woo-woo! All right, darling, take care. Bye. Bye.